2: Good afternoon, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. By the way, it is an absolutely gorgeous day along the East Coast, uh, wherever you are, and um, all the way from North Carolina up to Boston and Maine. We are basically at peak, beautiful fall foliage where I live in Virginia. It is absolutely gorgeous. It is breathtaking. So get out and see the wonders of our nature. This is the most beautiful, wonderful, scenic country in the world, and we should be so proud to be Americans. And, and uh, God has given us an incredible endowment in this spectacular country. Uh, October is really my favorite month. I hate to see October come to an end because it is it is just so beautiful out there. I guess if you're up there in Maine or Boston, some of the really northern states, you may be past peak In terms of the fall foliage, but it is uh, as you move south, it is really, really beautiful out there. So if you're having a wonderful afternoon, folks, thank you for spending an hour with me. I hope you can stay with me for the full hour. We've got a great show this afternoon. Uh, We will talk, as always, about finance, about the economy, about your more money and a little bit about politics and what's going on. So much to cover today. Um, I want to start with what is going on in the Democratic Party today. Uh, I want to carry on from a conversation I just had with Larry Kudlow on the kudlow show uh so proud to follow him on wbc talk radio but we were if you weren't listening we were talking about the fact that there's problems in the democratic party today that party is splintering you can almost see it like a piece of wood that's been hit with an axe and i know by the way i for those of you regular listeners to this show you know i am not an apologist a cheerleader for the republican party i am a republican but I get upset with the Republicans. I think the Republicans oftentimes are as much a problem as the Democrats. So I'm not here to cheerlead for, you know, go, go, go Republicans. What I am telling you is that something has happened in the last 10 or 15 years to the Democratic Party. And those of you who are Democrats listening to the show, I appreciate it, by the way. I appreciate your uh, listening in and and, uh, and getting a, maybe a different uh, viewpoint from your own. We we all have to do that, listen to different viewpoints. But I'm here to tell you, I, this is not your daddy or granddaddy's Democratic Party today. It just isn't. It has moved so far to the left. Uh, I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders said it very well at the beginning of the year when she gave the response to President Biden's State of the Union and just saying, look, there's two movements in America today. There's a common sense movement, which those of us in the center and on the right believe in put america first and uh you know uh grow the economy make everybody prosperous make this a land of opportunity and a kind of craziness that has taken over the democratic party now i'm going to just focus on the demo on the economy because i'm an economist but i mean look what's going on with you know there's multiple sexes and uh you know the craziness with the climate change agenda that that just seems to trump normal common sense thinking about how we make our a country prosperous and great. And so a good example of this, by the way, is what's happened with the uh, with the climate change movement, which has become, I, I think more, you know, there was a headline in the New York Times this week uh, that said, oh, gee, this is so terrible that we've had these attacks on Israel because it's going to disrupt our our climate change agenda. And I, I thought it was maybe a, a, you know, a Babylon Bee, you know, uh, lampooning The New York Times. But this was an actual New York Times headline. Uh, Never mind that, you know, twelve hundred people were murdered and that we have hostages and that we have, you know, uh, so many people injured. What they care about is climate change, not the people that are dying in Israel right now. And that that shows you there's a derangement syndrome. I call it, you know, climate change derangement syndrome. And it has taken over the Democrats. Obviously, we all care about our environment. We want a clean and safe environment. But when you have hostilities that are going on around the world, and then when you've got an economy that seems so fragile right now. Now, we did get a good number on GDP, thank God. I was so happy to see that the economy grew by well over 4% in the third quarter. Phew, thank God, because the economy had been, you know, dragging on the bottom right now. But I think most of you would agree that it just feels like we're we're just blowing into a big, big bubble. You know, like when you blow – a birthday balloon, and you keep blowing it, blowing it, blowing it, blowing it, blowing it, it, and pretty soon it pops. It just seems like that to me as an economist. And I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see, you know, let's have three or four quarters of three or 4% and 5% growth. I'd love to see that. Let's have, uh, you know, people have high paying jobs, and let's have people incomes going up faster in inflation. That's not happening now, but I'd love to see it. But I don't think with these policies, we are going to get there. Now, Here's what's really interesting about this split in the Democratic Party. I think that there's still a lot of old-fashioned Democrats who believe in things like making America great. Now, we may disagree about how to do it, but the idea is we want America to be the greatest country on our Earth, and we want to have the commanding heights in terms of having American dominance when it comes to the economy and our currency, and we don't want to surrender that, especially not to China. And I think it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You have to believe that that's important. Um, Second of all, uh, when it comes to civil liberties, and this is something that really bothers me, there used to be a big part of the Democratic Party that believed that big government was invading our basic rights uh, as Americans, that our our First Amendment rights, the, the Bill of Rights, all 10 of the Bill of Rights, the Democrats used to be the guardians of our, uh, of those rights. They believed fervently in free speech. Now you don't see it. Now the Democrats are the ones who want to shut down free speech. Now it's the Democrats who want to take away the guns. Now it's the Democrats who uh, are basically throwing in people in jail just because they disagree with them politically. This is an ugly turn for the Democratic Party. And I, I've heard two Democrats in the last week talk about this, two prominent Democrats. Number, one of them, was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, some of you people say, oh, he's crazy, he's crazy. No, no, he's not crazy. I don't know, I think he's a little crazy on some of the environmental issues, but he talks a lot about how the Democratic Party and the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates really were uh, out of bounds. For the government to take these steps, they were trampling on the Constitution. And he talked about the Constitution at this speech that he gave at the Daily um, Wire, and it was amazing. It was amazing to see a Democrat saying my party doesn't believe in these things anymore. He didn't go so far as to say, you know, this is not the party of my uncle, John F. Kennedy. But he came pretty close to saying that. And so you've got the R.K. movement. Then you've got uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who was a Democrat uh, uh, from Hawaii. You know her. She ran for president in 2020 um, and she was. Very vilified by Democrats, and her line at this speech that she gave at the um, David Horowitz Freedom Conference was, "The Democratic Party has left me. They don't believe in the ideas that they once did. They don't believe in civil rights. They don't. They don't believe in a colorblind society. They believe that race should trump everything." Uh, And so, I just see more and more Democrats starting to say, "You know, I've been a lifelong Democrat." But there's something going wrong with my party. And, you know, you can do that. You can do that, folks. Just because you voted Democrat all your life doesn't mean you have to follow these people over a cliff or let them take our economy over the cliff. Now, a couple of other quick points I want to make. And we're going to talk more about this later in the show. But I want to talk about what's really happening with energy policy in the United States, what's really happening. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because you're not going to get the truth from the New York Times or The Washington Post or CNN or so many of the networks, which the, the narrative that you're being told is that the world is moving towards a uh, towards a, uh, uh, a green energy transition. I don't know if you've heard this term. They, they, the left loves to talk about the energy transition as if, oh, we're shutting down all our nuclear plants and our oil and gas plants and we're not going to have any more coal and everybody's in the world is moving towards, um, away from oil and gas especially, and they're moving towards windmills and solar panels and battery factories. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. In 2023, this year that we are 10 months into this year, so it's coming to a close more quickly than you think, um, this year the world is using more fossil fuels than any other time in the history of the world. Does that sound like... Transition to green energy. Meanwhile, big piece in the um, in the Wall Street Journal this week that major wind and solar uh, producers are losing big time money. And by the way, we've given these wind and solar producers and the battery uh, makers 400 billion dollars of federal money and they're still going bankrupt. (laughs) Uh, another story about Ford um, basically saying, hmm, it doesn't look like these EVs cars are s- selling very well and they're going to discontinue one of their lines. Um, another big story, uh, Exxon and Chevron in the last two weeks have done blockbuster $110 billion, not $110 million, $110 billion of buying massive oil fields uh, for development in the Permian Basin, in, which is in Texas and Oklahoma. And that's an amazing thing. If, if, if they really believed that the world was turning away from oil and gas, do you think they'd spend $110 billion on it? So I'm here to tell you oil and gas and coal are here to stay. I think we've reached peak nuttiness on green energy. And that's a good thing because these we're not going to be able to provide enough power for a $25 trillion economy with windmills. We're just not going to be able to do it. And the rest of the world understands that. Donald Trump understands that. Tulsi Gabbard understands that. Uh, I don't think that the Democrats running the party right now, including the guy in the White House, understand that at all. That's the reason we have to get rid of them. And, again, I'm not saying the Republicans are going to be our salvation, but they couldn't be much worse than what we have right now. All right, we'll be right back. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. In our next segment, we'll hear our market update
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Hey,
4: it's Ryan Payne and Bob Payne from Payne Capital Management. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E here on the More Money Show talking the stock market, the economy, financial planning, and man, Bob, there's no getting around it. It was another really tough week on the street of dreams, as you like to say. Um, you know, we've had a lot of volatility. Markets are down, which is it's a little odd, given the fact that we just had one of the biggest GDP prints we've had in a long time. Economic growth in the U.S. for the third quarter was like off the charts, yet markets sold off. What do you say, Bob? Well,
3: there's a lot of pessimism around, right? It's like just like you have your head cold right now. I've told a lot of people to have that head cold. So it's like a virus that spreads everywhere. Pessimism is so thick right now you can cut it with a knife. But, you know, we had a phenomenal growth of the economy for the third quarter. And it's a little surprising because, you know, had every economist, 100% of economists this time last year predicted to be a contraction. So they didn't miss it by a little bit. They missed it by a lot.
4: Yeah, it's kind of remarkable, right? We had the, we had the most uh, prophesized recession of all time. And, you know, last year – we were predicting we'd be in a dire recession right now. And we had the exact opposite. We had a surprise with like massive growth on the upside in the U.S. economy. Um, so the question is, well, maybe it's just delayed. Maybe we're going to go into a recession next year. And maybe that's what the market's telling you. And I think the big question right now is this just a, a, a run of the mill market correction like you see typically every year, or is this the start of something bigger? You know, are the markets about to go off a cliff? Is it time to go to cash? I think that's the question on every investor's mind right now.
3: Well, you know, you always feel that way once the market's in correction mode, and, and that's exactly what happened. We have a 10% correction in the S&P 500 from its recent July high, right? So the market was really humming, you know, in July, and then suddenly you've got rates going up, and you know, we've had a correction in the market. So, you know, it does lead to fear and pessimism. But, you know, the economy's not landing, right? It's taking off, right? We're, I think the profit recession's over. We're seeing most companies report, surprisingly good earnings not not poor earnings um so you know i don't know i i read that book waiting for godot back in college i'm not waiting for this recession to happen i'm getting invested here
4: well i think that's the question right we, we talk about this all the time now you get a money market fund that pays five percent or you can lock into a cd or a treasury bond that pays five percent for the next year does it make sense to just wait because uh, the markets obviously are unsettled right now um or is it time to get invested and you know we've been kind of proponents of it don't wait because at some point things are going to change. And when they do change, they change relatively quickly into what you said, Bob, right now is let's face it, we've got, you know, earnings growth looks pretty good on stocks, they should continue to go up in terms of their, their, their ability to make profits, which is a positive, Uh, we see inflation, and we're gonna see some more numbers on that next week, are, are continuing to come down. And we know we have a strong labor market. And that really hasn't changed. So I guess we'd argue here is it's a lot like last year where everyone's warning you that everything's ready to fall off a cliff and then you know disappointingly for any of these pessimists anyway a year comes and you know we think things are going to look pretty good so I think you have to ignore the noise here more than ever and you have to start thinking about your long term goals and it's hard right now because man oh man all the news is negative.
3: Well, it is. It's actually – the news isn't negative. The news has actually been very positive. It's just the way the media reports it. Yes, we just had spectacular growth for the quarter. However, this is negative because the Fed's going to raise interest rates even more. Um, so, you know, it's always being spun as, in a negative fashion. But you know what, Ryan? There's nothing wrong with 5% of the Treasury right now. If you're sitting in a bank paying you 1% or 2%, get it over to that Treasury. Um, but, you know, we're about financial planning. And most of my clients are baby boomers who are retired, and you know what they're focused on? They're focused on that income that comes in, you know, every month. And you can get great income by locking in these yields, you know, in the bond market. You can get tax-free yields if you're, a, you know, a New York State resident paying state income taxes. You know, you can buy bonds that have an equivalent of six to seven percent taxable, right? You know, for the rest of your life. You know, why wait? You know, it's uh, it's the time to get invested. Yeah, it
4: really is. And you know, I think right now more than ever, uh, to your point, Bob, we got a 16 year eye on in interest rates. And we think the biggest risk next year is, okay, inflation does continue to come down. Um, like it has been for the last year, is what if the Fed starts to cut interest rates, you know, all of a sudden, so those great yields you have today disappear like that. And, you know, call me a cynic, Bob, but uh but, you know, The Fed Reserve chairman, maybe that is a political position, and maybe it is an election year next year, and maybe he'll be more incentivized to to lower interest rates just to keep the economy humming. Call me crazy, but, you know, I think there's a good chance that could happen.
3: Yeah, I think that's the important thing to remember. You know, we hear so much about the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve chairman, Jerome Powell, but, you know, if you go through history – the Federal Reserve is not a leading indicator. They're a lagging indicator, right? They don't make the direction of interest rates. They follow the direction of interest rates. So, you know, it's not so much they're dictating what's going on here. And, and you know, if you look at inflation, uh, it's moderating, right? I mean, it's still going up, right? But it's not going up at 9% like it was a year ago. Uh, we just had a really good PCE number uh, come out this week, which is what the Federal Reserve follows. And they can clearly see that inflation's moderating. And it's just like everything else. It's going to go down, you know, slowly, but then suddenly. And if you're sitting in cash, you're not invested. You're waiting to invest. And I say, don't wait. You know, the opportunities are there. You know, the lower the price, the better the expected return.
4: Yeah. And meanwhile, again, if you have a hot labor market like we do right now, where there's plenty of jobs, you know, those jobless claims have been relatively low. There's tons of jobs openings. It's very hard to go into recession when you have <laughs> full employment. You know, it's, and I think that's, that's, it's one uncomfortable truth for a lot of these pessimists out there that have been waiting for this market to fall off a cliff or this, you know, this recession to happen is when people have jobs and, and wages are going up, which they are right now, and don't get me wrong, I think it is hard right now because inflation's high. People do feel squeezed. But the bottom line is it's very hard when you have this, you know, low of unemployment or this high employment right now for, for the economy to fall off a cliff. So you really have to start thinking about the future where the puck is going as the old Wayne Gretzky quote goes. And, you know, if you look at it again, we've got inflation coming down. We've got a strong labor market. We have earnings going up. That's a recipe for probably good things to happen, not bad things over the next 12 months. So it's time to get your plan in place. You know, don't wait.
3: You know what I always say, Rye, don't listen to the noise. Ignore the noise. Follow the data, right? The data is there's lots of jobs openings and jobless claims are dropping, right? So people are working and, you know, meanwhile, the economy is accelerating. It's not landing, right? It's taking off. And when you have companies making more money, you know what they do? They hire more people. So the employment number is going to continue. You know, the unemployment number is going to stay low. And again, you know, don't, don't listen to what the fed's telling you. They're, they're a lagging indicator. They're going to over tighten. They're going to miss it. Meanwhile, corporate profits are going up and corporate profits, last I checked, they're the, uh, you know, they're, they're the lifeblood of stocks
4: yeah so if you are thinking to yourself right now okay bob ryan we get it your 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 positive attitude maybe it's too much but we get the world's not going to end very often and if you're thinking right now i need to get on top of my retirement plan i need to figure out what i'm doing for retirement well here's your shot to do it we keep 10 slots open if you've saved over a million dollars bob and i will run for your you total financial master plan we'll do that with no obligation or cost it's a full holistic review where we look at everything there's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We're gonna go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. Give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and we're just gonna hone in on every financial issue you need to address today. You need an income plan for retirement. When that paycheck stops, how do you take Social Security? What's the best way to do it for you? How do you take from your portfolio? How do you draw from it so you don't run out of money and how do you factor in inflation? Your costs are going to double over the next 20 years just to do the same thing because inflation's going higher. We're going to put together a full income game plan, a full dynamic income game plan. So you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been like a yo-yo over the course of the last 24 months. Has your portfolio done the same thing going up and down, not going anywhere? Or have you been sitting in cash paralysis by analysis? You can't figure out what to do. We're going to put together a full investment game plan tied to your goals, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you those high cost tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, insurance product, brokerage product, mutual funds, structured product. We'll do a deep dive of every investment you own. We're going to show you where all the hidden costs are and show you how to optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's now what you make. It's what you take. You'll get Bob and I's full tax playbook. We'll keep 10 slots open for the whole show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement,
3: all you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844 a n n y c. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation, there's no cost, and guess what? No other firm will do this for you up front. All you have to do is be one of our next 10 callers and call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844 A N N Y C.
4: So, Bob, you know, at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, and we probably do thousands of financial plans every single year and you know we found that for a lot of you you've done a great job on the savings right you put the money away you've been socking away for retirement you are prepared in terms of you have put enough money away and you've learned how to live on a budget you've learned how to save carry very very little debt and you know probably in a lot of cases you've done pretty good with your investments but you know what I think we need to talk about is when you are a good saver a lot of times there are mistakes that you make just because you put the money away doesn't necessarily mean that you've structured it properly when it comes to retirement, or we like to call that wealth distribution stage, when you start, quote-unquote, living off the land.
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree, Ryan. Right? I think now is a time of maximum diversification, and I find that there are too many plans that I review where there's too much money sitting in cash. You know, the thing that really broke my heart over the last 15 years was, wasn't so much my generation, but it was my parents' generation that suffered – From rates going down to zero because their only investment had always been, you know, a six month or a two year CD at the bank. And when rates went to zero, you know, they didn't have any other strategy or any other option. They didn't have any advice. So, you know, maximum diversification is what I recommend right now.
4: Yeah, I I think the the big issue is, you know, maybe you have saved a lot and you're getting close to retirement. We talk about this a lot. You're saving a lot of money in cash, which is a great short term strategy, right? Markets are volatile. Yeah, no one knows what's going to happen next as they never do. So you're sitting with this huge position in cash. You're getting your 5%, you're patting yourself on the back. But the problem is, you know, that that that's a temporary rate and you're probably going to retire for maybe 20 years, 30 years. It's not a long-term solution. And right now when you're building your retirement plan, you've got to think about long-term solutions. In the meantime, that's a short-term solution because again, we talked about this on the first segment is rates could go lower. In the meantime, if you have all that money sitting in cash, what do you do now?
3: yeah, that's a really good point, right you know because I you know they as they always say that the four most dangerous words, it's different this time. so now you're able to get five and a half percent, but you know the one year uh, return on a treasury on average is under three percent, right? The average yield is three, not five, not five and a half. So this is a time of opportunity to take advantage of the lock in that yield. Right. If that's a good yield for you, you know, why have it only for three months or six months on Because you might be able to get one tenth of a percent greater. You know, you want to block in that income stream so that you don't have to worry what you're in retirement. You, know, you can focus on, you know, more important things. So it's um you know, these short rates aren't investing. Right. It's when you're in cash, you're waiting to invest. I say don't wait. Get that money, get that yield locked in.
4: Yeah, well, that's, that's one part of it, right? If you have too much money that's too conservative, that's one problem. On the other side of the, the equation, you could have too much risk right now. You know, the other issue that we see a lot, and you might be feeling the pain right now. No pun intended. Our last name is Pain. Uh, with markets down, maybe you have too much money at risk in the stock market. And you may have felt that last year, too, when markets sold off aggressively. So, you know, really, it comes down to having the right amount of risk. Because if you're retired for 20 years, you can't have all your money safe but you can't have all your money at risk as well. So the other question you have to ask is, am I taking way too much risk to get to my goals? Do I see way too much volatility in my portfolio? And that's a problem, right? You don't want to take more risk than you have to to keep your lifestyle intact when you finally do retire.
3: You know, Ryan, I've been uh, doing this, uh, helping investors like you, you know, get to your goals, your long-term goals, close to 50 years, you know? I know I don't look at it, but I'm I, I'm living it. Um, but what's happening is ninety percent of every plan I ever reviewed over that fifty-year period, the investors were taking more risk than necessary to achieve their goals. Right? You, you can get the return you need without taking all that risk. And when I talk about risk, I'm talking about volatility. And who needs all that extra volatility? Right? You know you don't need that scar tissue in your stomach lining. You know you need to be able to sleep at night. And I'd say take your plan down to the sleeping point. Make sure you don't have that excess volatility because, you know, higher risk doesn't, doesn't equal to higher return.
4: Yeah, not necessarily. And look, I mean, if you're still working, right, you're in that wealth accumulation stage and you have 20, 30 years before you retire, fine. It's one thing, but you have to come to grips or terms with, and I just met with a gentleman this past week, you know, he had 80, 90% of his money in the stock market. He wants to retire mm-hmm. in two years. And it's just like, look, you don't, if the market sells off, aggressively and you have a big market sell-off like we did during the pandemic or it goes down 40, 50% or the great financial crisis, a better example of that. You know, you don't have 10, 15 years to make up the difference. And I think that's a really important transition you have to make. When you're in that financial red zone, maybe you're five years away from retirement, even 10 years away, you've got to start transitioning your portfolio away from growth mode to a more conservative portfolio where you start living off of it. You've got to make that transition, and now's the time to do it. You can't wait on that because you don't have the time to make it up like you used to.
3: No, I absolutely concur, right. I'll tell you the other thing, the secret to success uh, in investing, number one, is patience. Uh, number two is keeping your costs low and keeping your tax to a minimum. I don't know why people like voluntarily paying excess tax to the federal government. I think we all have to pay our fair share, but why give them any extra? Right Now you have to make sure that you're, you're tax-efficient in your portfolio and you don't sit with that ticking tax time bomb that we all talk about every week, that IRA and 401K.
4: Yeah, a lot of your money is probably in retirement accounts. We see this all the time. And the problem is once you get out to age 73 or 75, depending on how old you are, the government forces you to take that money out and you have to pay income taxes on it. And if you have a lot of money in those plans – That's going to be a lot of money that has to come out every year. That's to put you in a higher tax bracket. So, you know, one thing you want to start looking at is start doing some IRA 401k tax planning. Maybe it's a good time to start converting some of that money out now before you have to take it out and put it into a tax-free Roth IRA or Roth conversion. So, and especially with markets down right now, there's a lot of proactive moves you can make to mitigate those taxes later. And most of us aren't proactive about taxes. It drives me crazy. Because we always say, it's not what you make, it's what you take. And there's so many things you can do from a tax perspective to tweak it now. And now is the best time ever, right? Tax rates are relatively low. You've got markets down right now. It's a really good time to start looking at different strategies you can use on your portfolio to optimize for taxes. And most of you aren't doing it.
3: You know, Ryan, my favorite client is a client I sit down with and go through their planning. And they have that excess cash flow where they can enjoy themselves. But... You know, the media right now, for whatever reason, loves to turn good news into bad news. It's almost as if we're all addicted to it. We're watching it all the time. They're making everybody feel so bad, you know, about how things are. And, you know, the beauty of a financial plan is you can see it in black and white. You know, am I growing my capital? Do I have income that I I don't need? Um, you know, you need to celebrate a little bit. Spoke to one of my clients the other day, and he was very concerned about all the things that are going on. I pointed out to him how much income he has that he's just reinvesting. I want him to go out and live a little, enjoy himself. I said, you know, you're the wealthiest you've ever been in your lifetime. You want to celebrate it a little bit. I mean, he's fortunate that he saved early. He's patient, and his money's been compounding. That's the place to be. Live your life. You know, don't live in fear.
4: Yeah, exactly. If you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I need a game plan. I need to figure out what's the right amount of risk for me and my portfolio for retirement. How do I optimize my portfolio for taxes? Well, here's your shot to do it. We still have four slots left. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for you our total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally will look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do all this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and we'll just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it is that income plan for retirement how do you take social security there's lots of ways to take it there's one right one right way for you and how do you draw from your portfolio in the most tax-efficient way where you don't run out of money we're gonna to put together a dynamic income plan show you how you can live off your portfolio live off of your assets and not run out of money and we're gonna look at diversification markets have been extremely volatile for the last two years has your portfolio been all over the place with no game plan or have you been sitting in cash paralysis by analysis not quite sure what to do to build your portfolio for retirement. We're going to put together a full investment game plan. We're going to show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life with strategies we've been perfecting for over 50 years. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you those high cost tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, a mutual fund, brokerage product, structured product. We've seen them all. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment you own. We're going to show you how to reduce all the costs on your portfolio, specifically that hidden cost, and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get Bob and I's full tax playbook. We literally have four slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement.
3: All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844 844- P-L-A-N-N-Y-C. If you're one of our next four callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will create for you your own total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation. There's no cost. No strings attached. But you won't have a plan if you don't text or call. 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844 844- Plan NYC, that's 844 A N N Y C. nyc
4: Hey, if you'll learn more about myself and Bob and our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course that's P-A-Y-N-E, simply go to BeBullish.com, that's BeBullish.com. Stay tuned, we got more, more money coming your way.
1: It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore.
2: Welcome back, folks. I hope you are having a wonderful, wonderful weekend, as I said the beginning of the show it is beautiful weather all up and down the east coast one of the prettiest days we've had in uh, washington dc and virginia and maryland and pennsylvania and i was looking at the weather in new york it is absolutely picture perfect so get out after the show is over i hope you get out and enjoy this incredible uh, beautiful beautiful country we have uh now i wanted to turn to two of my guests to kind of make sense of what's going on with the economy what's going on with with the uh, with the car industry, uh, because the left is all in on these EVs, and yet everything I'm hearing is that people aren't buying them. Uh, so I thought I would bring in my friend Brent Wood, who is uh, runs the Colorado Auto Dealers Association in the great state of Colorado, and my colleague and friend EJ Anthony, who's one of the top economists in the country. He is the one of the major economists at the Heritage Foundation also works with me at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And let me remind people if you're not getting our Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, uh, which EJ and John Fund and others help write with for me every morning, uh, sign up for that. It's free, folks. Just go to committee to unleash prosperity.com. And we will send it to you the email uh, five mornings a week. And if you want to be the smartest person in the room, get the hotline. Okay, so gentlemen, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Brent, let me start with you. Uh, what is going on with the? Yeah, you're selling cars there. You're one of the biggest auto uh, dealer run one of the biggest auto dealers in the state of, of Colorado. Um, but the Biden administration is selling just just sell electric vehicles, but what are you hearing from your customers?
1: Well, you know, I think it's a little misleading right now because year-to-date, EV sales are up, but they're definitely slowing down. I think it's more of a a product of uh, there's much more inventory this year than there was last Mm -hmm. year, year over year, Uh, but it is definitely starting to decline. So when people come in to your dealerships,
2: um, you know, because here on the East Coast where I live, a lot of the dealerships don't have enough, you know, gas-powered cars, and a lot of the people are coming in want, you know, the gas-powered cars, and they, you know, they're getting angry that they, you know, they don't. The dealerships are not providing the kind of cars that they want. I don't know if you're seeing that in Colorado. You're a pretty green state there, but uh, you know, there's a lot of skepticism a lot, among a lot of consumers and car buyers about electric vehicles.
1: Uh, there is, and I think it, it does matter uh, region by region. Uh, you know, states like Colorado and California uh, are big EV markets. Uh, we are seeing a trend towards uh, hybrids, actually, is is the swing that we're starting to right. see, where people like right. that flexibility of having gas, right. you know, gas and electric.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, and I'm seeing that big time, you know, where I live, is that people want the hybrids. Do you have enough of those on your lots?
1: We do. Our brand, you know, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, that's what we're actually heavy in. And uh, they've really gone all in as far as on the hybrids with the uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee, uh, the Jeep uh, Wranglers as well, very popular Colorado vehicles. Um, and we do not have actually uh, full EV vehicles yet. They're coming. Um, they're supposed to be coming. But uh, if you look at uh, some of the things that are going on out there with you know ford uh you know the amount of money they've been losing on ev vehicles it's been a real challenge for uh for manufacturers profitability wise i saw recently gm and honda um they scrapped their merger uh as far as yeah, what they were we going to do in uh, affordable uh you know making affordable evs so a lot of challenges so be- out there financially for the manufacturers which ultimately passes along to the consumer and as an affordability point you know the the consumer can only take so much
2: So that's Brent Wood, who runs the Colorado Auto Dealers Association. I want to turn to EJ and Tony. EJ, we got a big blockbuster GDP report out um, the other day, just a couple of days ago, uh, suggesting the economy is riding high right now. But as I look at those numbers, you know, look, 4.9 percent growth is a good number no matter how you slice or dice it. But when you look underneath those numbers, boy, it just seems to me like we've got a bit of a bubble economy right now with so much consumer debt and federal debt really driving the economy.
0: Steve, I think you're absolutely right. And and a testament to that is the fact that no matter how many of these official government data points come out that say that the economy is doing so well, you continue to have very low numbers when you actually poll individuals. I don't care whether it's the approval of the economy, or if you're looking at something like consumer sentiment uh, or right. even consumer expectations. And so one of the reasons for that is because the, just just from the way we calculate GDP, you can increase that number without increasing long-run sustainable growth. And I think that's what happened in this report. As testament to that, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia puts out an alternative measure, which they call GDP plus that came in at only 3.3%. Now that's not terrible, but it's a far cry from, from 4.9%. So what, what were the big drivers in, in this report? Well, government was one of them. In fact, Mm -hmm. this was now the fifth quarter in a row that government spending grew faster than consumer spending. That's just not a problem. That is a problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we cannot have the government growing faster than our private sector or we're going to be in big trouble. And so you're looking at now what's happening if you look underneath these numbers, A.J., with consumer uh, finances right now. I mean, we've talked in the past on this show about the trillion dollars of credit card debt, which is very worrisome. Are are consumers going more into debt to keep up this high
0: level of spending? Steve, that's exactly what's happening. And, And we got confirmation of that with yesterday's Income and outlays report, which shows that people are continuing to spend more than they're taking in. That was actually the third month in a row where after you adjust for inflation, you find that you find that disposable income is actually dropping for three months in a row. This is not a good trend. So people are depleting their savings. They're going into debt. In order to keep up their spending habits, this is why we have a trillion dollars in credit card debt in this country right now, wow. despite the fact that the rates on those credit cards are right now at a record high.
2: That's EJ Antoni, who's one of the chief economists at the Heritage Foundation and also with the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Brent, back to you. Uh, EJ was talking about these the kind of uh, consumer that's feeling a bit squeezed now financially, and I wonder if you're seeing that when the people come into your Dealerships are people having to go more with credit uh, because. Well, tell me, like, what it, what kind of is the average cost of a car that you're selling these days?
1: Uh, average cost on a new vehicle uh, is up in that uh, close to you know 50, 60 thousand range. Um, you're looking uh, more uh, probably that thirty thousand range, thirty to thirty five thousand on a pre owned. Uh, you know, to elaborate so on, on that, uh, what he on. touched.
2: Let me make sure. So you're that's for.
1: An EV, or is that for a traditional gas no, car? No, tra- tra- traditional vehicle, traditional, and then it's it's even more than that on the EVs. You know, the the battery cost alone on these you know EV trucks are, is twenty five thousand dollars and ten Ooh. to thirteen thousand dollars for a car. You know, a car battery yeah. with these EV vehicles. So the affordability factor that you're talking about and touching base on. To elaborate uh, uh, on the credit card debt, uh, car payments are at an all time high uh, in default. So uh wow, you know really? people being behind on their car payments it's very alarming and the affordability factor with these vehicles going up EVs being even more uh you know pricey um and interest rates uh you know at the highest rate that we've been at in years insurance rates uh you know up as well uh affordability wise we're 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 hitting so, a breaking point
2: So Brent you know I think you and I met when you came to Washington with a lot of your members uh talking about you know wanting to talk to Congress what what do you want – what would you like to see Congress and the administration do to make cars more affordable and more accessible to people? Because I, I feel like, you know, there's almost a war against the car in the Democratic Party today. They don't want people driving cars, and they're making them so expensive they can't afford them.
1: I agree with you. And, you know, we're all for carbon neutrality. Um, it, it's just an affordability issue for the manufacturer to be able to to make a, an affordable enough vehicle for the consumer, Uh, you know, next year there's going to be help uh, and assistance as far as uh, uh, federal tax credits that uh, are, you know, it looks like we're going to be able to use those at the dealership level which will help uh, in reducing uh, the consumer's auto payments when they come in to to purchase their vehicle. You know, close to 90 percent of people finance or lease vehicles these days and instead of that just being used as a tax credit once a year if they're able to use that at point of purchase and lower their car payments uh, from an affordability standpoint, it would be good because ultimately any expenses uh, it costs to build these EV vehicles and to get these vehicles uh, to, to carbon uh, ne- neutrality, it, uh, um, it's going to be ultimately passed along to the consumer uh, yeah. in the end. I'm not so sure we need to have carbon neutrality. <laughs> Frankly, I mean,
2: we've, uh, right. we're seeing uh, – uh, I don't know why that it should be a goal. A carbon dioxide is not a pollution. Carbon monoxide is. But, you know, look, I know that there are a lot of people who want to go to net zero on fossil fuels. And I think it is, I think it's personally very dangerous for our country. But one interesting thing, EJ, that happened this week, I'd love your comment on this. Uh, you know, in fact, I wrote my column saying, you know, we've reached, we probably reached peak green energy because if you look at the events of this past week, first of all, you had two massive blockbuster $110 billion. Um, acquisitions of oil and gas lands in in the Permian Basin in Texas by Chevron and Exxon. Now, E.J., as an economist, if they're spending that much money, do you think we're done drilling?
0: No, I I don't think so, Steve. And how inefficient all of these so-called green energies are is really proof that we cannot shift today uh, to wind, to solar. Maybe sometime in the future we can. I mean, 100 years ago, we didn't even have nuclear power. So who knows what we're going to have 100 years from now. But the fact is the technology is not in place to allow us to transition away from coal, oil, and natural gas. It just simply isn't there. It does not yet exist. Again, maybe someday it will, but it doesn't now. And that's why it makes sense for these companies to, to try to acquire more of these resources, because they're going to be able to sell them yeah. out a profit in the future.
2: Did you see the story, Jay, uh, we added in the outline that was reported by the Texas Public Policy Foundation, that the average subsidy now for some of these electric vehicles, when you take all in, all of the subsidies, you know, in terms of the you know, $7,500 credit and all of these other, you know, credits they're giving for the battery factories and so on, uh, almost forty to $50,000 per car that the taxpayer is paying for. Exactly. And what's really amazing is despite
0: all of these subsidies, dealers still can't get rid of these things. They still can't sell them because consumers don't want them. And again, despite all those subsidies, you have companies like Ford losing tens of thousands of dollars on each vehicle. I mean, it's absolutely mind boggling. No matter how much money they throw at this problem, they just can't square the circle.
2: So, Brent, uh, in just our last couple of minutes, uh, you are on the front lines, obviously, of the auto industry because you sell cars probably more than anybody in the whole state of Colorado. Um, you know, a lot of people are betting that the days of the gas car are over. And I wonder if you think that's the case because, I, you know, I'm looking at polls and Still, you got well over half of Americans saying they want the old-fashioned cars. Well, how do you see this
1: industry evolving over the next five or ten years? Um, you know, uh, Akito Toyota came out yesterday, the former CEO of Toyota, and he stated it looks like the, you know, um, it, it just it looks like the, the car got ahead of the horse. Everybody got excited uh, about it, right. EVs. First wave of excitement's over, reality's setting in, the infrastructure's not in place for this, the high cost of production, um, you know, there's a multitude of reasons, uh, you know, why and timing uh, may not be great, but there's going to be a blend of internal combustion engines, diesel, um, you know, a lot of manufacturers are moving towards uh, hydrogen as well, I think it's going to be one of the next exciting phases, Uh, electric, hybrid, there's going to be a blend across the board of what people want, you know, ultimately... You know, it's a payment, you know, an interest rate driven world and the consumer, you know, needs affordability, yet they want excitement as well. And I just think there's going to be a blend across the board for the consumer. So to have can options
2: you, to can you two stick with me for a few more minutes? So we got to take a quick break. I don't want to abuse your time, Brent. but could you stick on for five or six more minutes? Or? Yes. Okay, EJ, you good? Absolutely. Okay, we'll take a quick break because this has been a fascinating conversation and I'm getting a blizzard of emails and texts from people who have questions for these gentlemen. So we'll take one uh, one minute break. This is the more money show on the ABC.
1: We'll be right back. This is more money with economist, Steve Moore. Now Steve Moore.
2: This is the more money show folks. And I am so appreciative of you listening in on a beautiful, beautiful Saturday afternoon, all across America. My guests this afternoon are Brent Wood, who is, uh, runs the, uh, Colorado Auto Dealers Association and my friend E.J. Antoni, who is one of the chief economists, the Heritage Foundation. Uh, E.J., uh, back to you, if I could. Um, you know, I was struck by the fact that, um, you know, the uh, Biden administration wants 100 to 150 billion dollars more spending for Ukraine, for for the Palestinians, for Israel, for all of these other things. We're running a two trillion. I think you gave me a statistic the other day that this past month of October, we've borrowed more money than any other month practically in history?
0: Yeah, Steve, we, we keep hearing about this projection of a $2 trillion deficit. That's nonsense. We're going to blow that out of the water. We have just in, in about the first three weeks of this month, we borrowed yep. $500 billion. <laughs> I mean, this, this is weeks?
2: absolutely staggering. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
0: Three, in three weeks, we borrowed how much? over 500 billion dollars that's more than twice what we borrowed in the entire month of
2: october from the previous year oh my god so this is so here's why i asked you about that you know my feeling about this aid package and i know our listeners have very very different opinions about this and i don't know what's right or what's wrong i'm against more aid i just think we're going bankrupt as a country we have to stop being the policeman of the world in my opinion but if we do give this aid E.J., I want two conditions, and I'd love your reaction to this. Number one, I believe if we're going to give however big the package is, it should, every single penny of that should be paid for by cutting other government spending. What do you say to that? Oh, absolutely, Ed. The other, the other condition I would love to see tacked on
0: is that these are not gifts. These are loans. You know, we yes. don't have the money to
2: give. Right. So if yes. any money is going to go out the door, it needs to be repaid, period, end of story. All right. So my second condition is that if there were going because we all know the reason that Russia was able to go to Ukraine, we know the reason that the Hamas was able to fire these rockets at, um, at uh, Israel is because uh, of their uh, petrodollars and their energy industry, which we could have bankrupted if we had kept producing American oil and gas. So I'm saying, look, if we're going to provide give Biden this money, it should be with the condition that we go back to a drill baby drill policy with respect to America's energy.
0: Uh, absolutely, Steve, you, you could not be more right. And I think we need to emphasize that American energy is not just an economic issue. It's a national security issue.
2: So, Brent, uh, back to you. By the way, do you have any thoughts about this? I mean, I'm just so frustrated about that we're not producing the energy that we have, right? We have more, you're in the auto industry. You can't have cars without energy. Why aren't we producing more of our own energy? And why do we have to get it from Venezuela and Iran and Russia?
1: It's, the, that's a great, great question. Great point. It's something, uh, uh, legislatively needs to get corrected and fixed in our country. So it is very, very frustrating. So, I mean, we don't have what? the ability. One of our challenges as well with the yeah. EV, the cart ahead of the horse, we can't even get enough power into our dealerships to be able to charge, you oh know, my these God. vehicles, the charging stations that they give us. It's Oh, uh, my God. It, it, they just didn't so how many charging stations all the way through. You,
2: how many cars do you have on your lot?
1: Uh, right now, about uh, six hundred, and we do, 600. Uh, we do a lot of commercial. We do a lot of commercial vehicles, fleet vehicles as well. So our inventories are pretty high this time of year. And do you sell trucks? Uh, we do a lot of trucks.
2: So, uh, so uh, how do do the EVs work for the trucks? Because trucks are heavier; they are carrying a heavier load. Uh, you know, and they, they I see in California. Yeah.
1: That's the the issue. You know, out in a state like California where it's, you know, primarily cars, you know, we're in a state that's, you know, 80 to 85 percent truck and SUV. These trucks that are pulling horse trailers and so on, you know, the battery capacity, you know, to get these vehicles just driving you know, the component of one, you know, the weather fluctuations here, we've got our first big snowstorm. I heard all the great weather you were talking about earlier back no, East.
3: I didn't we've know got, that.
1: We, <laughs> we have our first big snowstorm coming today. And uh, these vehicles, you know, it's a catch-22 because when the battery's charged and when it's super hot outside, you run the AC, it drains that battery excessively. And when it's really cold here, it's a big drain on the battery as well, and you're running that heat. And the battery capacity is just minimal. And then trying to go up an I seventy up to the mountains there, a truck or a truck pulling something, yeah. you know, at that weight, we're so far away, and then the oh, expense to build yeah. that truck to be able to produce that is so expensive that the affordability wise, we're just we're, we're a long ways away. Well, you know, in California,
2: your your neighbor there in California, out on the West Coast, they want to get rid of diesel for car for trucks. I don't even understand how that's even, you know, uh, possible. You know, you're talking about massive trucks with sometimes two trun two trun uh, cargo how are they going to do that with a with a battery
1: it, it doesn't make sense and especially for a state that wants to promote ev vehicles out there then they tell you you can't drive them 3 days a week because they don't have the power grid to <laughs> supply <laughs> enough amazing. electricity to the homes for air conditioning and electrical it just there's a lot that doesn't make sense and people yeah. need to you know they need to be rational and think this thing through all the way but, through and the diesel component like you said it just it doesn't make sense
2: so, EJ, we're moving into 2024 in a couple of months. We got a good GDP report, but as I said, it feels like we're kind of, to use the, uh, use the analogy of the automobile, it seems like we're, we're driving on fumes right now. Uh, it, I'm, I'm worried about the economy. I'm just worried that we've built up a big bubble, and I don't want it to burst, but it feels like it's going to. It certainly does,
0: Steve. And again, going back to this GDP report, there's a lot of evidence in that. All, literally all of the investment growth that we saw, it wasn't new uh, machines. It wasn't new factories. It was simply a buildup of inventories. And while mm-hmm. that adds to GDP today, when those inventories are sold off in the coming quarters, guess what? That's going to subtract from GDP then. So all you did was essentially yeah. front load uh,
2: that, that GDP, quote-unquote, growth. It's, yeah.
0: not I think long, that's why, it's not actually long. It's not
2: sustainable. I think that's why, you know, you still see these polls. Seventy percent of Americans think the economy is headed in the wrong direction. They know there's something fundamentally wrong with what we're doing. But I'll have to tell you guys, you know, when I saw Trump uh, about three weeks ago, I asked him, how fast could you fix the economy? He said, give me six months. So I think there may, may be a savior on the horizon. By the way, Brent, next time you're in D.C., I want to go to Philomena's with you again.
1: That that was fantastic. It's one of our favorites. All right. Gentlemen,
2: thanks so much uh, on a Saturday afternoon. That's E.J. and Tony and Brent uh, Wood. Thanks so much for joining. Folks, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. This is The More Money Show on WABC.